Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his dues in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's fast car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battle's for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world. Hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart? I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. So, I mean, I was doing it all myself. Presented by Crosley. Amplify your style. Here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in. Pull those belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. A lot of in between on today's show because today's guest, a businessman extraordinaire, an entrepreneur. Mike, probably the closest you can come to the American dream. Born in Cuba. In June of 1960, at age 15, he was put on a flight to Miami by his parents. He was the first member of the family to enter the United States of America. Now, there's so many great stories I could go on and on, but I chose this one. You ready? So he worked a number of odd jobs as a young man. But how about this? He took a job at City Chevrolet, offering to work for free on the condition that if he outsells the other salesman within a month, he would be compensated and offered a permanent, permanent sales position. He was successful with record car sales. And then there are several other stories like that. But in 1987, became a NASCAR team owner, which would become Sabco Racing. His first driver, Kyle Petty, tons of success there. Over the years, drivers for Sabco, including Sterling Marlin, Bobby Hill Jr., some guy named Kenny Wallace, 
Robbie Gordon Jr., uh, Joe Nemechek, and and so many others. Uh, in his th nearly 30 seasons in the NASCAR Sprint Cup Series, his teams have 17 wins, 131 top fives, 354 top tens, as well as 40 poles in nearly 1,800 starts. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Felix Sabatis. Mr. Sabatis, say hi to Mike Wallace. Well, I didn't know you were talking about me. I could, <laughs> <laughs> I could, I could bring him for me to say somebody else. <laughs> well, but you did forget one driver. You did forget Kyle Larson. Okay. He spent five years with us. There you go. And he's not bad. He's, he's a pretty good driver, too. Yeah, I think. Well, Felix, I'm sitting next to Jeff here, and he's actually got about four pages of information yeah. about you. And I, I think he's like, okay, let's just get to the interview because we'll hear some good stories and some great things. And as we, uh, as you know, this, this is a show that is based on our fans wanting to know who were you before who you are, you know, around the Charlotte metro area and in the NASCAR world, your name is a brand. And I say that in such a complimentary way. When you say Felix Sabatis or Felix, everybody knows who you're talking about. They don't know you, but they know who you're talking about. And uh, so that's what we're trying to bring to the fans. So the, the only way I know how to open the show is when did you first have interest in motorsports? But I guess before that, you have such a great backstory to you, as Jeff mentioned, we'll call it the American dream. Can you can you tell us a little bit about your early life career and how you ended up in Charlotte, North Carolina? I was 14 years old when Castro took over, and I was not a fan of Castro. So at age 14, I joined the underground to start fighting against Castro. And I got myself in trouble in my uh, father knew that I was in trouble because he had pretty good connections still with the government and they knew that I was going to get myself killed so they sent me to America by myself 25 dollars and two boxes of cigar and I arrived <laughs> in Miami I arrived in Miami at 15 years old and that's all I had and from there I just moved to Boston Massachusetts because I had an uncle that was living in Boston and uh Things didn't work out. He was in a school. There was not enough room for me. So he went to Missouri, and I followed him to Missouri. And I spent uh, two years in Columbia, Missouri, working in a hospital as an orderly. Unfortunately, I had to, I had to drop out of high school. I only finished the eighth grade, and uh, that's my formal education. I had to go to work. So that's what brought me to North Carolina, the Catholic Church was relocated human families to different parts of the country, and they picked Lexington, North Carolina, to put my family in. So we moved to Lexington and uh, lived in Lexington until, we, until the welcome wagon came to see us a burning cross in our front yard. Wow. Was, oh, yeah. Woke up one morning, there was a cross in the front yard burning. I said, I told my mother, I said, I don't think they like us around here. <laughs> That's so, an we, we can laugh now, <laughs> or, you know, but I'm sure I think how small this world is, many, 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 many years later, Chuckler Myers and his wife bought the house that we were living in Lexington in 1960. Really? Completely yeah. Can, and I still, I still live there. Can I back but this was, story up just a little bit? Or Because I'm so intrigued. I mean, I really am and always have been. You know, I'm a big fan of yours. How, when, when you were sent over from 
Cuba on an airplane, you said with $25 and a box of cigars or whatever, when you landed in Miami, I mean, did you have, I mean, you already have somebody you were supposed to call, somebody supposed to pick you up, or what do you do in that case? I mean, these, it's just intriguing to me how. Well, you know, you couldn't make phone calls from Cuba to the United States. So my father gave me a phone number of a friend of his that was living in Miami, and I called him up. And because I kept calling and calling and calling, and finally he answered when he got to work. And I, I sat at the airport for about three hours, and he asked me to come to his house. He came to pick me up, and uh, I stayed with him for about a week, sleeping on the couch. And but he was very, very nice. Him and his wife were wonderful. So that's the other people I knew in America. I knew, I knew no one. Unbelievable. Did you speak English? Nope. Oh wow. I did not have to say. Well, I can't say it. Right. <laughs> well, you learn things like that in, in uh, yeah. ta taxi drivers. With taxi yeah. drivers. <laughs> you learn all you need to know, I really. <laughs> yeah. I need food. But I, I need the word, I love you, baby. I <laughs> love you, baby. <laughs> that got you a long way, didn't it? Made you... <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I'm in trouble, too. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So you make the phone call. You go to Boston. Somebody picks you up. You go to Boston. That didn't work. You end up in Columbia, Missouri, and that's what's got me so intrigued, Jeff Kent, because I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, which is close, just, right? Yeah, it's just yeah, no, no. 80 you miles know. down the road or up the road. That's where Columbia, Missouri is where Carl Edwards lives today in, right. in front yeah. of And uh, yeah. so just, man, it's just so amazing. Listen to that. So thing, you, you worked there for a couple years. Then you said the Catholic Church relocated you, and you woke up one morning, and there's a cross burned in your front yard in Lexington, North yep. Carolina. Wow. What? So what was the thought when that happened, other than you didn't think they liked you that much at that point? <laughs> Actually, to tell you the truth, I didn't even know what it was. Okay. Okay. And then I was explaining later on what it was. So I figured we need to move. We get to Charlotte, and uh, the Catholic Church, again, helped us relocate to Charlotte. Got us a little house, a two-bedroom, one bathroom, and nine people living in it. Who who was with you at that time, Felix? I mean, it's, who... it's my, my mother and six brothers and sisters. Okay, so mom. So, and... so you. And then you... my father came. And then my father came a year after that. Okay, and it but, is, was that something that he? I don't know. I, sh I don't know if I should get into this depth or not. Did, did he just wait it till everybody got here and you guys got settled and then? Met you all no. in Charlotte, or how did? No, no, there was my family in Cuba was very well to do, and you know, Castro confiscated all the businesses, and, and my father could not get out. He tried to get out, wouldn't get, we couldn't do let him out. And they, the only reason they get, let him out is because he thought he had throat cancer, and they didn't want to have to spend money operating on him, so they sent him to Mexico to be operated, and it turned out it was not cancer, but it was a thyroid problem. But he, he was lucky because they let him out. Most of the time, people in his situation were put in jail by the Cuban government. So he came to North Carolina, and um, the rest is history. Wow. Well, well, let's. I could talk to you forever about you know that that particular part of your life. But when you got to Charlotte, North Carolina, that's probably where we need to to zone in on. So you you showed up in Charlotte, and then what happened? I went to work at the airport, parking cars. In washing cars, actually, there was this excellent station there, and that was the only parking lot to have. It was very small. I mean, they didn't have concourses; they just had a couple of gates, and that was it. So I was washing cars, 
and I saw a sign uh, over the National Car Rental that says uh, speak Spanish. So I applied for a job there, uh, doing the same thing, but they were paying, you know, I went from 80 cents an hour to a dollar an hour. And I worked there for several months, and I met my uh, ex-wife there. She was working for Avis Rental Car, and we got married. You didn't take the rental deal serious. You you bought the car. Mm-hmm. Ah, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he did. He went to work for a couple of different places, then wound up buying the company. But anyway, uh, you know, I got married, and then my daughter Mimi came along, and and but my ex-wife, you tell me, as much as you talk, you to be a salesman. So there was an ad in the paper, which to this day, I remember the ad. It's a 615 South Triumph, $175 a week guarantee. So I showed up there, and it was a car dealership. And I go and ask for, for a job, and this guy's name was D.D. Ross, Vernon Held. I walked in his office, and he looked at me. He said, don't sit down, but you won't be here that long. He said, we don't hire sticks around here. And I said, to watch it, so we don't have spicks on here. Well, I, I never heard that expression, spick. So I would I start walking down the street pretty dejected, and then I stopped. I said, well, I think he insulted me. <laughs> yeah. and, so I turned around and walked right into his office. I didn't ask the reception. I just walked in his office. And he, was on, he was from Texas. He was on the phone with his feet up, his feet up at the desk. That, I think we were going to have a heart attack when I walked back in there. And I said, you insulted me. He said, well, you know, that's just a, it's a loving slang that we use with the Mexican. I said, well, first of all, you know, you have no right to insult me. But second of all, I'm Cuban. So you want to give me a job? He said, well, you didn't speak English good. That's what I said to him. I said, if I don't sell more cars than anybody in this dealership in 30 days, you fire me. You don't have to pay me. He looked at me and said, son, you're crazy. And I did. I did. Unreal. So how, how did you... And amazing, the amazing is 20 years after that, Rick Hendrick bought City Chevrolet. Well, I, I know watching different things, you and Rick Hendrick are really close. I think when he had a Hall of Fame induction, he called you his brother. So I thought, yeah. man, it doesn't get any better than that. But so jumping back to that moment, you walked in the man's door and told him, look, I'm going to sell more cars. Then you outsold everybody. How did you do that? I mean, how did you know how to outsell everybody in a car? I didn't. So <laughs> what it was at the time, there was a bunch of Cubans coming to, to North Carolina to work in the textile business. And I knew, I knew the majority of them, and none of them had a car. I figured, <laughs> hell, if I can just sell the Cubans cars, I would sell a lot of cars. <laughs> And for a long time, man, I tell you, if you were Latino in this town, you go your car for me. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't know I didn't know much about anything other than I knew that they needed cars. Oh, that's outstanding. So, <laughs> but you clearly you clearly had the, the gift of gab, right? Yeah, you're, 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 you said your ex-wife said, "Hey, you, all you do is talk, so you'll yeah. be good at this." So you obviously yeah. knew you had the talent. And and it obviously paid off year after year, position after position. Well, but, my, but then I, I hated I hated the car business. I did not I did not like being the car salesman. In those days, being a car salesman was one step below a cemetery plot salesman. It was not a <laughs> cemetery was, plot salesman. I love the analogy. <laughs> yeah, and I, I had a stomach ulcer. I mean, it, it was killing me because I didn't I didn't like the way that this, the old dealer did business. 
And one day, I uh, had a customer that had bought three cars from me. He was an Austrian Jew that his whole family had been killed in Austria during World War II. And he's, he's the only one to escape. And he was uh, living in, in Cuba and then came to America. And he happened to know my father in Cuba because he did business with him. And I asked him one day, I said, hey, I need to get out of here before I have a heart attack. He said, I'll call you. He called me Thanksgiving uh, Thursday. And he said, I want to come to my house tomorrow morning. So I went to his house the next morning. His name was Walter Reich. And everything I got today, I go to him. I went to his house. He said, I want to go to work for me. And I said, great. And he said, I'm going to pay you what you're making now. How much are you making? I said, $400. He said, okay, I'll pay you that. The first week goes by, I don't get paid. The second week goes by, I don't get paid. Third week, I don't get paid. So I asked my wife, and I said, uh, she asked me, rather, uh, when are you going to get a paycheck? I said, this weekend. And when I gave him a paycheck for $400, and I said, what is this? He said, well, I'll tell you, I'll pay you what you were making. I said, I said, Walter, I was making $400 a week, not a month. <laughs> uh oh. Uh oh. Oh, so you had a little confusion on a week versus a month back yeah, then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but when I went to resign, this guy said to me uh, at the Chevy store, he said, You're going to flunk out in that business because you don't know anything about that distribution business. You're going to be back in 30 days begging for a job. And I almost did, but I said, You know what? I'd rather go dig ditches for free. Yeah, go back. That's a little son of a bitch for anything. <laughs> Hold that thought right there. We're going to come back after the break and come we'll back talk on about, your We'll talk about some of your other business ventures because there are some great stories. We're talking to the one and only Felix Sabatis. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. Today we're talking to Felix Sabatis, businessman, entrepreneur. We were talking about his days in the car business as a car salesman. Here's an interesting story, Mike. In 1969, at the age of 25, he accepted a position as a salesman for Top Sales Company, Inc., which distributed retail products. He would purchase the company in 1974. At its peak, TSC became the largest, most successful manufacturer's rep company in the United States with over $12 billion in sales. How'd you make that happen, Felix? <laughs> well, I, st I, I stood in the street corner saying I was hungry instead of pencil. <laughs> wow, that's... No, uh, I was that. I, actually, it was 1979 69 when I bought the company. Okay, gotcha. But I, he financed it for me, and so I paid him off back to 74. But, you know, we were a little bitty company at the time, and I knew there was a bigger world there. And I started myself pursuing opportunity with retailers. In those days, you had the Rosa store, the Zares. You know, you didn't have – Walmart was just a very small company. But I went after them. I started doing business with them, and I got to know the management people there. And as they grew, I grew with them. Felix, I got to ask you something because I'm I'm missing just a little bit. You got the Walter guy who didn't. He thought you were only making four hundred bucks a month, not a week. How, right. how? Where was that point after that? Did 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 he have the top sales company or how did you move on? I no I, no he didn't. He, he, he wasn't top sales company. It was it was Walter Wright and Associates. Okay. And and I told him I said Walter the the name is just not you know doesn't sound professional enough. So. It was actually Carolyn, my ex-wife, that came up with the name Top Sales. 
So we changed the company name to Top Sales Company, and I went to work in commission. I asked him to put me in commission. He thought I was crazy. I said, I, I, I got to make more than four hours a month, Walter. <laughs> and I, I went out, and then he gave me West Virginia. Imagine that. <laughs> that was my territory. And I, I'm almost thinking yeah, he tried you know, to set you up to fail there to start with. <laughs> no, actually, no. I'm so the way around. There were a lot of tobacco jobbers in those days in West Virginia, a lot of wholesalers. And there was two big drug companies, uh, Corn Drug Company. They had like, like a 70, 80 drug stores, which was a lot. And another one, Parker Drug. So I started doing business with them. And all of a sudden, we were doing millions of dollars worth of business in West Virginia. So he came in one day, he said, you know what, I'm, I'm retiring. And I said, what? He said, I'm retiring. I want to buy the company. And I said, Walter, uh, I have about $200. How much do you want for the company? He said, $250,000. This was 1969. That was a lot of money. It's a lot of money today, but back in those days, that was like millions. What, were, said, you, what well, were you selling there, Felix? What kind of stuff were you selling through top sales? What, what was? We were selling little six transistor radios. You know, that's when the portable radios first came out. Little battery, you know, pocket size radios. Uh, we're selling binoculars, manicure sets, uh, cutlery sets. Okay. Uh, just, just stuff. Small stuff. <laughs> stuff. How yeah. about Teddy Ruxpin teddy bears? That was one of the products distributed. Yeah, well, that, that came. No, that came years later. Years oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> See what the funny, the great part about this show is if something that Jeff hears intrigues him, <laughs> he Googles it right away. And, yeah. and well, the information is literally information at your box. fingertips. You, all right, so I'm sorry, I've kind of interrupted, but I was trying to fill all the blanks in. You, you're uh, the gentleman who owns the company, he's wanting to sell it, he wants 250000 for it. You tell him you got two hundred. And, yeah, okay. He took me. He took me to what it was called then, North Carolina National Bank. Today is Bank of America. He took me. He took me there, and he applied for a loan in my name for two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and he co-signed the loan for me. And he looked at me. He said, "The worst case scenario, I get the company back, and you're going to build it up. So you, you pay me." So I paid him over five years. That, that was, it was. He was hard, but I did. I saw four years. So I ended up with the company and started hiring people, and all of a sudden, I got people working in the whole southeast and part of the southwest. So we grew the company from nothing to a multi-billion-dollar business. How, how did how did you do that? I mean, you you told us early in the show you had you just got through eighth grade in college or high school, junior high, I guess it would be. But here you you in your car salesman, then you're a salesman of product, then you buy a company. Now, I, I get that part, but then how do you grow it? What make, what gives you the, the knowledge, or how did you acquire the knowledge to know how to grow that company? Or was there people already working within the company that helped you do that? Or Well, Mike, the thing, I'm a firm believer that one man cannot do a job by himself. you got to have help. And at the same time, you got to have help from people that want to help you. And... I was very lucky because a lot of the companies that I was doing business with, like Walmart, like Zares, they, they start getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I just went along for the right. So if they had 100 stores, they bought X. If they had 200 stores, they bought X times two. So my business grew pretty fast as these companies expanded. And then I realized that was over my head when it came to management because I am not a very good manager of people because I want to do it myself. 
So I hired a guy by the name of Roy Morris. He became president of the company for 30 some years until he retired. And he ran the inside and ran the outside. And we had we had a great you know we had a great partnership. And uh, I met a lot of young people very wealthy because I always shared my commissions with them. Right. And those young people that you shared the commission with, those are other salespeople that worked within the company yes. or outside salespeople? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so we, we need to get to the race world because that's where right a lot of our fans know you from. But I, I'm still so intrigued by the business side. So I'm going to stick to that just for a second. And Jeff met, mentioned Teddy Rupskin. And, Ruxpin. Uh, I can't even say it right. No, no, no. Atari no. Game, hang, hang game Consoles. Hang on. <laughs> Felix, give us a pronunciation there. Teddy Ruxpin. Ruxpin, okay. Yeah, got it. So <laughs> what you, that seems to be uh, something that everybody that I know in the race world associates uh, your name to. What was that? When did that come about? I don't remember the exact year, but but that was way after. I mean, we, we I, I was sitting at a bar in Chicago, and this guy sat in the bar next to me, and he looked pretty dejected. And I said, hey, you're have a hard day. He goes, yeah, I got this product. We were at the electronic show. And nobody really takes it for serious. So I said, what is it? He said, oh, you wouldn't understand it. But I'll show it to you later. So I gave him a name. He called me at 2 o'clock in the morning. He said, hey, come up to my room. I want to show you something. And I go, a guy's calling me at 2 o'clock in the morning. Come to my room. That doesn't sound too good. <laughs> what was that word you told us early on? Hey, sexy, or I love you, or something you <laughs> I didn't say I love you. <laughs> No, anyway, I got Roy Morris and Roy and I went up to his room and he had the little thing in the front of the television going back and forth with it. I said, your television's broken. He said, no, no, that's my new game, Pong. And that was the beginning of our, that was the beginning a, a, of my chance encounter in a bar in Chicago, right? Yeah. Right. Yep. I mean, how, how, you know, you can't write that stuff. No, and Pong <laughs> became Atari. Pong, okay. Became, became Atari. Yeah. And Atari is like, uh, you know, it was the only video game. Such company. a big video game. In, sure, yeah. yeah. No, in, in yeah. the world, yeah. And then the people at Atari figured that they didn't need us anymore. So one day, they terminated us, terminated the contract. And I went to Japan with another friend of mine, and we met with the people from Nintendo, which they were doing a lot of business in the Japanese company. And we talked them into coming to America. And we had a representation for Nintendo. And we made a fortune with that. Oh my gosh! Well, so you you were the original gamer in in, in the states, right? Absolutely. And also, my company was the first company that sold laptop computers besides IBM. We had the distribution for compact computers for half the country, and uh, that was billions of dollars worth of business. Because in those days, you know, they didn't have Dell. All those companies weren't in the business. And Compaq was in the commercial business, and they wanted to get into the laptop business, and we took it to the market. Man, I'm going to tell you what. You, you, you've done some amazing things in that sales business. I'm saying Felix Sabatis has the Midas touch, if you've ever heard of that, you know? So well, after let, me, let, me, let me tell you a quick story of this because it's kind of funny. Okay. I, we go to Houston, Texas, to meet with the management of Compaq, and they sit in the big round table, the CEO, all the big wigs, and they said, okay, we're going to pay you a million dollars to help us write a business plan. And I said, well, what kind of business plan? He said, well, to distribute our products. Okay, so we sat there and I got on my plane on the way home 
and Roy Morgan was with me, and I said, I got the business plan already done, Roy. He looked at me and he said, you fool ass. And I said, no, I got it. He said, well, you haven't even written anything down. I said, I tell the pilot to turn around and just go back. So we got, we went back to Houston. We got back to Houston about midnight. And I called my contact and says, I want to meet with you guys tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. And he said, for what? And I said, I got the business plan finished. And he was like, are you crazy? So we walked in the room, no briefcase, no nothing. The same people sitting down. So I got your business plan. I said, what is the business plan? Your business plan is me. <laughs> You're going to give my company the distribution, and I'm your business plan. And that's what they did. That's a, that's incredible. I, I just I love love hearing that this type of uh... you talked about you talked about taking care of people too. When you eventually sold TSE, you sold it to your employees. Tell us that story. Right. Well, uh, in the year two thousand, I, I was fifty five years old. I think it was. I I wanted to retire because I had bought three into yachts and I was building the yachts, and I really liked the business. It was very profitable. And I really was tired of kissing butts with all those major retailers. Because as the company got bigger, the, the more butts you had to kiss. And I don't like to do that. <laughs> so, yeah, I, you, I, you I, don't strike me, Felix, as a butt kisser, Barry, <laughs> just to let no. you know. <laughs> no, no, never been. <laughs> so anyway, I went, to, uh, I went to the employees and I said that I was going to do an ESAP. But I had a company in Dallas, Texas, that, that was trying to buy us out for a lot of money. And I sold it to the employees with my money. In other words, they, they didn't have to come up with any money. I lent them the money to buy me out, like Karen and Walter did for me. And they paid me out of earnings every year. So over a five-year period, they bought me out. But the sad part about it, we had a bad ending. I was the chairman of the company, the chemist chairman. And they wanted to expand the business into the e-cigarette business, which at the time was nothing. And they wanted to, to, to borrow, I forgot what it was, but it was several million dollars. And I said, I had a veto power on the board. And I voted it down. About a week later, the guy that was the, Roy Morris had retired, had a new president, and that was John Wissenhand. He comes to my office and he said, hey, how you doing, blah, blah, very friendly. And he puts a piece of paper in front of me. He said, what's that? He said, that's your resignation from the board. And I said, do what? He said, yeah, that's your resignation from the board because you have become an old man and a small thinker, and this company cannot grow with you. Oh, my gosh. Uh-huh. I was 56 years old. I was an old man. No, I was 60. I was 60. And I, just, I said, okay. So I had no choice because what I said to him, I said, well, you got to have 51% of the vote. He said, I got 51% of the vote. And I figured, how the hell do you have 51% of the vote? One of the guys that has been with me since the beginning that I never thought he would turn, turn and vote his, his shares to, to kick me out. Well, unfortunately, they went the wrong direction. They put themselves out of business. They went bankrupt. Well, what, what a shame. What's a word they call that is karma, karma. poetic, poetic justice, yeah. whatever. But. I think that's a, almost a perfect time to take a break, Jeff. And we, then we need to come back and we need to talk about the NASCAR world. There's some, some interesting you... stories, too. And Felix said that he really enjoyed being in the yacht business and building yachts and whatnot. There's another really interesting story about Hatteras Yacht. So maybe we can go there. And then, yes, we need to talk some racing. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media.
Welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. On the line with us today, our guest, Felix Sabatis. We're, we're talking about the early days. Uh, Felix, you mentioned you enjoyed being in the yacht business in 1988. Uh, you purchased a Hatteras yacht dealership in Stewart, Florida, and within two years had turned it into the largest Hatteras dealership in the world. Once again, Mike Wallace, the Midas Touch. How, how do you do that, sir? I mean, one thing after another. How do you go from selling electronic gadgets? You, you were a car dealer. You were a widget salesman. <laughs> and then, then, you, then you build or buy yachts. How do you do that? Tell us about that well, story. It was, actually, it was, uh, it was kind of funny because I've always owned a boat. You know, it was my, my passion. And I went to buy a 63-foot Hatteras, and the dealer told me that he wanted to sell the company. So... How much you want? He told me. I said, so I'll buy it. <laughs> so I bought the company. That's funny <laughs> now. I'm like, That's funny right Yeah, there. but wait, wait, little did I know that the government had just passed a 10% luxury tax on on, on boats. Okay. So all the Southerners said, gee whiz, we're, nobody's buying boats because they got to pay these 10%. So I figured, I figured with a lawyer in Palm Beach, I figured if we race to this boat offshore, like in the Cayman Islands, you don't have to pay sales tax, and you don't have to pay the luxury tax. So I went to Hatteras, and they were really hurting for business because they had a, a yard full of boats. They had like 20 boats in inventory. And I said, I want to buy the whole inventory. And they looked at me like I was crazy. How are you going to sell it? I said, don't worry about it. So I went to First Union Bank, which was a bank, and I went and asked for, I forgot what it was, $25 million, $20 million loan. Which is a lot of money then, too, either. That's a lot well, of money. I don't care when. Yeah, that's a lot well, of money. So all of a sudden, I had all the boats in, in production line. And then I committed to buy six more 100-plus footers. So if you wanted to buy a Hatteras, and, and the way I sold them was, I advertised that I would pay your luxury tax, and I would pay your sales tax. Not that I would pay. I said, you don't have to pay luxury tax or sales tax. Well, people come running. I don't have to pay sales tax or luxury tax. Nope. The race of the boat in the Cayman Islands. And I got a hell of a deal from Hatteras when I bought all the inventory. They gave me like a 25% discount. So I started just printing money with the boats. But then I just got, I, I became uh, hungry and I wanted to build bigger boats. So I bought a company in Louisiana called Trinity Yachts. And we started building 150, 160, 200, 250 foot boats. As a matter of fact, Rick Hendrick has owned three of my boats. Hmm. Um, over the years. And James Finch is on two of my boats. Well, those have been so, some party boats, I can tell you that. Right? <laughs> but I sold I sold the Hatteras dealership to Nelson Rockefeller. I mean, well, no, Winthrop Rockefeller, excuse me, the nephew. And it, that was a funny story because he, he comes in, we go to dinner, we have sugar hands, and he goes, like, no, I'm, I'm a little short of cash. And I'm looking at him, your last name is like Rockefeller. He said, when I get my trust, that pays me every month, so I don't have a lot of ready cash, and I don't want to hold paper on me. And I'm going, me, a Cuban guy holding paper in Rockefeller? <laughs> well, sure enough, I did. And that guy paid me on the first of every month. The money was deposited in my account. So, but then I started building Trinity Yachts, and we became the largest uh, aluminum builder in the world. Our boats were big. They're big, and I sold the company. Uh, they're still in business, but now they, we were doing a lot of military work 
we we built the Mark V patrol boat to the um, to the to the Navy. Uh, we built several hundred of those. So we, we had a lot of contract with the government. It worked out pretty good, and I sold the company. I tell you what, you you got the business gift. I can. It, it sounds like, but. I have to because we could sit here, Jeff, for hours and hours and discuss that, but we've only got, you know, a couple segments left. So let's fast forward to your first experience in NASCAR. How did you how did you even go to a NASCAR race, create interest, and how did you start Sapco Racing? Well, you know, when, 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 when I was very young and Nina was a year old, and you figured out she's a, she's a little older than a year old. I used to go to the Daytona 500 and Darlington and Charlotte. I love Richard Petty. And I would go to the races, get to see Richard Petty. And one day, Ted Condor, which was a very dear friend of mine, walks in my office and says, hey, let's go racing. And I said, well, what? He said, let's go racing. Let's, let's, let's get a bush team and go racing. I said, okay. <laughs> he just, he's, I said, how much are you going to cost? He said, well, I got a lot of money. We get sponsors and blah, 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 blah. So, we got a little building. We, we, we rented a little bit for Butch uh, Stevens. And we had one race car. And we hired Bobby Hillen to go drive the race car. Well, after three months, we were out of money. So I go to Teddy and say, hey, Teddy, we had our cash. He goes, well, you got plenty of it. <laughs> I, said, uh, I thought we were partners. He said, uh, and, well, we, we were partners when the price got so high. I said, well, you told me it was not cost that much money. So I long story short. Uh, I bought Teddy out, and I get a phone call from Rick Hinder one day. Hey, brother, I need, I need help. I need your help. I said, "What is that?" He said, "I need to sell one of my, uh, my R&D team because NASCAR doesn't want me to have an R&D team." And in those days, NASCAR had all kind of weird rules. So he had Gary Nelson was running the R&D team, and I bought the, the team from Rick. And he said he was going to be the driver. Well, the driver was Scott Petty. So when I interviewed Kyle, uh, I said, Kyle, you want to be a race car driver or a guitar player? He said, I want to do both. I said, you're my kind of guy. One on one thing. <laughs> so Kyle was with me for eight years. But when he went to drive with me, his father came to me one day and he said, congratulations, thank you for, for hiring my son. He said, when you grow him up, then I take him back. <laughs> when he I grew him up. Funny. He was funny because he calls me one day. He said, well, I grew, you grew him up well. He's coming back to work for me. And I, I knew eventually. But the best time I've ever had in my life in racing was with Scott Petty. I mean, he was like a son to me, but he also was my friend. He still is to this day. And you guys had and quite a bit of success. I mean, didn't Kyle finish top five in points a couple of years? Two years in a row, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well. yeah, that was a funny. That's a funny story. We go to New York to get our table, and they said there's no table. I said, "What about we finished five of the points? Well, you didn't make any reservation." So I'm racing in hell with a NASCAR person at the door, and Bill France, Bill France sees me. He gets up. And he said, "What's up? what's going on?" I said, "Well, God, turn up. They don't have a table for us." And he goes, uh, "Well, you're gonna have one now." And they put another table right next to his. They brought the table and set it up. So, he showed up at the, at the bank without a table. Yeah. Mr. France steps up and says, I will handle it. Tell yeah. us about, you know, I remember when I moved down here, and that would have been 1991. You, you were very popular, very you, – you were you were a cool owner, though, if I remember. And you can tell me if my stories or my thoughts are – you you did things that 
I would now, since I've learned the backstory a little bit, a little bit of salesmanship, showmanship, you brought to NASCAR. You, you, didn't you give Kyle Petty or offer offer him a Rolls Royce or something if he was going to win a race or won something? Or am I? No, thinking? we were we were in Daytona in those days. They had that the uh, Unicall had the money they put up every week, and the next race, and we did well in Daytona. I think we finished sixth or seventh, and the next week was Rockingham. So I tell Kyle, I had a Rolls Royce myself. And Kyle said, I want to have one of this one of this day. I said, Kyle, if you win the pole and the race, we're going to win the Unicar money, which at the time was $298,000. Kyle led all but two laps instead of the pole. So next Monday, I drove to High Point, the, the Rolls Royce deal, bought a Rolls Royce, and I delivered to his house. <laughs> Unbelievable. He's, he still has it. Really? Is that right? He's, yeah, he called me one day and said, you mind if I make a pickup truck out of it? <laughs> it's your car. Do whatever you want to do with it. Yeah. He's not your kid. <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, stories like that uh, are so impactful because I remember that, you know, just the storyline because you always, you were always out there a little above everybody else in the, uh, the promotional side of the sport or the interest side. You got a lot of people's interest in motorsports. Well, one of my best stories was your brother, Rusty. I love Rusty. We, and we were really good buddies because we were raising Pontiac. And those days, we just struggled and struggled and struggled. And Rusty, his thing changed and went to Ford. Well, that left Pontiac with just us and Richard Petty. Dino was up. was very, very good. So NASCAR <laughs> gave us an additional four inches on the deck lid. And Rusty, he's racing hell. That ain't fair. You didn't do it for me. I said, Russ, you won 11 races that year. You didn't need it. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, the, the interview in Rusty on, on a, one of the programs, Rusty said, if I had that lid, I would lock the field in Charlotte 50 laps. And I say, Rusty, I'm going to make you pay for that one. <laughs> so I went and got a million dollars in cash. And I called for a press conference at the Charlotte Motor Speedway. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I kind of remember and, and this. Highway patrol car with the siren. Everybody's in the, in the press room. Here comes the siren, the highway patrol, the armed guards. And they take out a million dollars and hundred dollar bills and put it on a big table. And Don Miller used to work with, uh, with Rusty. He came to, he didn't know what, it, what the, com, the press conference was about. And I said, I said, Rusty, this is not a bet. This is a gift. This is a million dollars. If you lap the field and fit the laps, it's yours. Well, guess what? He rushed to call me that night. You said so He said, I can't drive a Pontiac. I drive a Ford. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew he couldn't do it even if he wanted to. <laughs> that was pretty safe. Man, that, was, that, that was perfect. You know, it ties in what you're just saying. We had, uh, we had interviewed Humpy Wheeler a few weeks ago, and we were talking about showmanship and attention getting and all the cool things. And, Boy, you knew how to do that. So th through all that is you're building your team, but you, you had a successful team. It wasn't you were just building a team. I mean, you guys were, uh, were, were winning races. I mean, when you started that race team, and uh, you mentioned Rick Hendrick had called you to take over one of the teams. Did, did you get any – was there back in that day, was there an alliance or, you know, like they got no, today? No, 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 no. That, that's, just... no this is one. I kid him all the time. He won a seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, and I and I went to look at the uh, at the building. He had a little three thousand square foot building, 
and uh, Gary Nelson, John Wilson, uh, Jim Sutton, and, and another Jim, I forgot. And anyway, we go to the closing, and uh, I, my my attorney said, "But where's where's the paperwork for the tractor and trailer?" And Rick goes, "Oh no, I didn't go with it. The tractor and trailer at least." I go, "Hmm. Well, how about the tractor, the lease, the, the, the paperwork for the dually and the trailer for the dually?" Oh no, 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 that doesn't go with the deal. And I said, "Well, how about paperwork for the three cars that are there?" Oh, they don't go, they don't go with it. And I'm going, "What are we the three cars don't go with it. He said, no, I'll, I'll loan you one for, if you want to run in Charlotte, but that's it. There's no more cars. I said, what the hell did I, oh, how about the four engines? Oh, they belong to Chevrolet. I said, Rick, what the hell did I buy? <laughs> he said, you bought, you bought Gary Nelson and Goodwill. <laughs> and he said, but I'm going to give you a thousand bottles of antifreeze. <laughs> he said, you can sell the antifreeze and we keep the money. That's when the antifreeze was a shortage on it. So, you know what? I figured, what the hell? I might as well go racing. <laughs> so he lent me a car, and I, had, and I had a Robbie Morosa drive one race for me. Oh, really? And, that's, uh, that's impressive. Yeah. So, and we finished, we, we had a, a loaner car that we got from Rick, and we finished 10th in Charlotte. Robbie Morosa, his first time around. And I realized, you know, this guy Gary Nelson knows what he's doing. He has a good little team. So we start expanding and hiring people and more hiring people, and then we start doing our own engines. So, you know, we did our engines for many, many years. But it got too expensive, number one. And number two, it takes people to know what they're doing. I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I really didn't. I just knew that, you know, that you put money out and money disappears, and then you hope to get it back someday. And that's when I got together with Ganassi. I said, Chip, I need some help. So, you know, that's that's that's... Ganassi and I hooked up. Stop right there. I, got, I was I was over my head. Wasn't it you, Felix, who said, "How do you make a million dollars in racing?" Start with Ted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, let's take a break, Jeff Kent. Felix, uh, let's come back for the final uh, segment, and I love it. Uh, what a gem. We're what? talking to Felix Sabatis. You were listening to Fast Card and NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. Joining us on the line today, our guest, the one and only Felix Sabatis. We're, we're up to the days where we're racing, Sabco racing, Kyle Petty's winning. Uh, I, I got a story, though, Jeff. And, I, and Felix, I, uh, you know, as we do these shows, Jeff does all the research normally, and I don't do nothing. But you intrigued me so much. I, I went to some friends, and I, I asked if anybody had a Felix Sabata story or anything that's intriguing or maybe somebody doesn't know anything about. And you tell me just yes or no and then the story behind it. I was told that you actually at one time early in your career did a, I'll call it a cameo or a stunt driving appearance in an Elvis Presley movie. I sure did. Was there any truth to that? Red Line 7000. Yeah, sure did. Tell us about it. Just make, make it, a, I mean. It was quick. It was, tell you quick. My wife and I had no money. And Buddy Baker was selling cars with me at one time. And he called me and said, you want to make a little bit of money? I said, well, $75 a day. I said, buddy, I will kill somebody for $75 a day. He said, you got to cut the Charlotte Motors people and do what we're telling you. So him and I were driving the cars. And then he didn't know that I was hitting in the trunk of the car. I hid in the trunk of the car. And part of the scene was 
that he would come and hit a wall, which was, you know, there was a soft wall, and the car would explode. But then they didn't tell me that the car was going to catch on fire. <laughs> so I'm in the trunk of the car, and all of a sudden, I knew what he was doing, but I, I didn't know there was going to explosion. He hit the damn wall, and, and I come running out of that car, out of the trunk. But it thought he killed me. I and I, 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 he thought I was on fire. It was just funny. But I got, I got paid seventy-five off to those stupid things. I'd love to see that. I just uh, the, the person told me that says not many people know about it. So uh, that's cool. Uh, true but, story. Yeah. So let's move back. Uh, as we went to break, we were talking. You called Chip Canassi and says, "Chip, I need your help. I'm in over my head or something. Uh, tell us. Let's yeah, take it before, from there." Before that, quickly, Rick Hendrick called me a year later. He said, "Boy, I'm proud of you. You guys are doing good." Blah 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 blah. He said. I'll, I'll, I'll give you back two and a half million dollars. That's pretty good return on my money. And he had a friend of him that wanted to get a reason. So he did him a favor because I gave him 750 and then it was worth two and a half million. That was, that's pretty good. Right. But uh, I called Chip as I was over my head. But I can I know how to run the business. I knew how to get his sponsors. Chip was not very good with the sponsors. Uh, Chip is a racer, and all he thinks about is, is racing. But we made a great we, we made a great partnership because I went out hunting for the sponsor, and he did the, uh, the racing side of it. But I just got tired of it. I went to him one day and said, I'm out of here. You buy me out, I'm gone. That was a year too early because I understand now this franchise is the, uh, the last um, fr franchise sold for almost $15 million. And the projection is in four years, if you have one of those charters, it'll work to $100 million. So, wow, per charter. Per, per, so, per, I, left, I left a year too early. <laughs> well, you, you did a lot of wonderful things. Tell us some highlights of, of your, of Sabco Racing or Felix Sabatis in the race world. Tell us, what did you enjoy about racing? Now, let me clarify. Are you 100% out of racing, or do you have any involvement with any team at this point? No, no involvement. Okay. You know, once I, I got involved with Rick, I just mooch off of him and get free passes. <laughs> you mooch off Rick Hendricks for passes. <laughs> Don't you love that? Yeah, he pays for the hard card. <laughs> That's funny. We're, we're all, I don't care how much money you got, you're always trying to get something for free. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no, you know, Mike, the thing that, that I, I loved about NASCAR is the minute you walked inside that fence in the garage area, Everybody put the pants the same way. You know, I don't care how much money you have, how many you don't have. Everybody's friendly with everybody. You know, you, you, you take you know, a guy like Roger Penske. You know, he's an icon in the business world. He's at the racetrack. He knows everybody's name. I mean, and, and I do too. I mean, I've walk in. I know a lot of people's name, and he's like a family. You know, it's it's, it's a different. You know, I, I own part of the Charlotte Hornets today. It's not the same. I mean, if I were to talk to, as an owner, I go to talk to one of the players. They ask me to talk to his agent. Oh, you wow. know, it's, it's, it's not like the NASCAR guy. It's, it's just like, if, and I do miss that. And I miss the friends family because I was, you know, I'm still am. I flew down to the town on Wednesday to have lunch with him, then came back to Charlotte. But I, I miss, I miss the camaraderie. I don't miss the competition at all. Do, do you go to many races anymore? I mean, do you go hang out just to make a lap through yeah, the garage yeah, area yeah, on yeah, a day yeah, or yeah, two yeah. or something? Yeah. Did you go to Daytona yeah. 500 yesterday? Well, the reason I didn't go, you know, I have congested heart failure, and I can't walk that much. 
Oh, I didn't know. So I go to the shorter tracks that, that I can get uh, an elevator, whatever I need to go, and that kind of stuff. Uh, I, can, I can't walk in line. And I cannot be on the road with the smell of the fumes. I got you. So let's, let's go back to a fun. Tell me some fun story that in your racing career that the average race fan would be impressed or think it's funnier than heck. Whoever it was, and it's just between you and Jeff and I. There's nobody else listening. <laughs> well, I could be saying, there's a lot of it I can't tell. <laughs> well, you can slide but, one of those in. Rick Henderson, no, he listens to this show. One of the funniest things in my life was, it was Kyle and I and Alan Kawiki. We have gone to breakfast and, uh, at the, the hotel that was staying in Michigan. And Linda Bond, that used to be the, the queen of NASCAR, was in the lobby looking for a ride to go to the racetrack. So Kowicki's driving the car. And Linda's in the front seat. And Kyle's in the front seat. I'm in the back seat with a couple of crew members. And all of a sudden, Kowicki decided to go to a McDonald's drive-in. At 80 miles an hour. And he started, <laughs> and he started, no, I'm not kidding you. And he was missing the wall by two inches. Circling, 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 circling. Around, around, around. That was a fun, crazy deal. But one of the best ones was, uh, I'll, I'll mention the name, the, the driver, but he had long hair. He pulled out, a, he pulled out, okay, he, he, was backing down on the highway in Michigan, probably doing 80 miles an hour, going backwards, <laughs> just the hell off. And this guy came out of the driveway and he just plowed right into the poor guy, pickup truck, destroyed the truck, destroyed the car he was driving too. He was lucky to kill himself. Oh wow! So <laughs> the woman, there's a woman in the truck, jumps out and realizes who who it is, and she tells her husband. The police gets that she tells her husband, pull out in front of the car. Well. He wasn't. She was. A, she, she was a petty fan. She pulled out in front of the car. He said he was backing up. <laughs> to this day, that woman, that husband of hers, think that he he finished his car. <laughs> Unbelievable. That's that's what you like, when you got a strong fan base, you can get away with things like yeah, that. Maybe not anymore. No, but yeah. back in the day, yeah. <laughs> yeah today you got to be politically correct in too many things. Oh well, we all know that that doesn't work very good anymore. So. Uh... No. <laughs> Well, Felix, I, I tell you what, the uh, the story early in your life is, is just amazing, and I'd love to sometime be able to sit down with you later if you if you don't mind sharing it a little bit more in depth. But I think every race fan took so much out of this about who Felix Sabatis is and how how you become such a cool guy. And I say that in a complimentary way. You know, in the Charlotte metro area where we all live at now. Uh, and this is a compliment. You're a, <clears throat> excuse me. You're a brand. Again, I mentioned that I think early in the show, but people know who you are, and uh, I, I believe you're a very philanthropist type general individual. I remember when I was, uh, my daughter was graduating from from UNCC, and did did you get a doctorate degree or something? That same yes. day you were there yes. receiving yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. Tell yeah. tell yeah. us a little bit about that. I mean, that's just those are stories that. I'm, I'm trying to get to that the average person doesn't hear. Well, uh, UNCC gave me an honorary doctorate degree, and so did Elon uh, University, and so did Florida International University. So I, I got three doctor's degrees, <laughs> doctor's of philosophy. Yeah, philosophy. <laughs> you want philosophy, I'll teach you something. I got a degree. Yeah, 
<laughs> and and a special blessing in writing from Pope John Pope. Paul II. No, no that's you not, have been digging. That, is that true? Some digging. That's true. Absolutely true. <laughs> well, tell, you know, or you got to tell me about that. Now, how did how do you get something from the Pope? I, I that's I think the I just, race stories and the early. I just text him. I just text him. Hey, Pope, I need a I need your autograph. <laughs> Buddy. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> No, Bishop Curlin, which he was a bishop here in Charlotte for many years, he was close friends with him and Mother Teresa. And I did a lot for the for, for Bishop and his, and his charities. And he was at the Vatican. He went to the Pope and said, hey, I want you to, to do this. And he handwritten, just wrote me a little note, sent it. Jeff Ken, I I don't know that we should go on from that point. I mean, how do you top how that? do you top a note from the Pope? Right. I mean, you don't. Yeah. You don't. Yes. Yeah. That's when you drop the microphone and yep. just walk that, away. That, that's a mic drop situation, and yes. I think on yep. that note, Felix, Jeff, you got, you got anything you want to run by, Felix? Now I think you know. Listen, continued success. Listen, we learned that that you're a good man. You treat people well. You surround yourself with good people and treat them well. You've had a ton of success over the years, but now you're still enjoying success with your with your car dealerships. Uh, you've received no, 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 no. I sold out. Oh, so you're totally done with that too? I'm done with that too. I, I sold it to Roger Penske. Oh no, kidding. Oh, so, so, yep. Would the writing then be you're 100 percent retired? I am 100 percent retarded and retired. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to congratulate you on all your success uh, from the day that well, you stepped you. foot in the United States of America to talk, taking the time to. Talk with us on one of the largest podcasts in the world. There you I go. mean, it's. Uh... Well, I just want to tell you, I have two decisions to make every day: scramble or fry, or walk or ride. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, we love you for that, Felix. We thank you very much for being part of the show. And the Pope, thank you. The, the Pope letters it, man. That's no the, you, you set a new standard. I don't think we're going to get another one like that. Felix, thank no, you. No, you get another one, it's an imposter. <laughs> yeah. Continued health and happiness, my friend. You've been listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. We'll see you next week.